The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. With rising temperatures, plastic pollution, and carbon emissions in dangerous numbers, the health of the planet's most important life-giving resource is in peril. In this segment, leading environmental experts and advocates examine the impact of climate change on our oceans, the consequences for humanity, and the solutions that could turn the tide before it's too late. Let's listen. Hey, thank you for coming. I'm Frances Deed Sellers. I'm a senior writer here at the Washington Post. We've just heard from the activists, and now I have with me uh, people from the research community and the business community here to talk about some of these same issues. First, I'm pleased to introduce Andrew Cooper, and Alex Schultz. They're the co-founders of Four Ocean, which is a global for-profit company. Um, and they take plastics out of the ocean and recycle them. And on my left is Enrique Salah, who is an explorer in residence at the National Geographic Society. He's dedicated his entire career to restoring the health and productivity of the world's oceans. We would like all of you to join the conversation. So if you have questions, please tweet them to post live, and I'll pick them up and be able to call on them um, during the conversation today. So Enrique, I would like to start with you first. Um, and tell us why the oceans are so important to the health of the planet as a whole. What role do they play? Well, without the oceans, there would be no life on Earth. Right? Uh, the oceans regulate the climate, and for throughout human history have made the climate relatively stable and actually allowed for the development of human uh, society. So they absorb carbon dioxide? What, oh how my are God. they doing this? If it weren't for the oceans, we, Earth would be like Venus. Because think about this, the oceans, since the start of the Industrial Revolution, have absorbed 93% of the extra heat that we have generated. 93%. 93%. That means that without the ocean, the temperature here right now would be 36 degrees higher. Wow. Not the 1.5 degrees that we don't want to exceed with the right. Paris Climate Agreement, 36 degrees. Right. So just by that, the ocean is our life insurance. And of course, it absorbs a lot of carbon. It actually absorbs a third of the carbon pollution that we expel into the atmosphere every year. So what's going wrong now? What's, what's the change that has prevented the oceans from performing this crucial well, role? You know, we are, it's like we are in the hospital connected to all these machines and we're actually disconnecting them one by one to sell them so we can pay for the energy bills. It's ridiculous. So we're doing three main things basically. One is we're taking fish out of the ocean faster than they can reproduce. And we are seeing the collapse of many, many fisheries around the world. And more than half of the fish stocks around the world are overfished. Two, we are making the ocean warmer and more acidic, which is killing everything from small uh, microscopic organisms to coral reefs, and coral reefs. That's uh, climate change. And three, we are throwing everything that we don't want into the ocean. Before it was organic pollution and some chemicals that we don't see now is, is plastic. You know? and, and I'll let these guys talk about the plastic. But these are the three main things right. we are doing to the ocean. And how are you, just before we, we will move to you, how are you evaluating the damage that's being caused to the oceans? How do you know what we're doing wrong? 
how do we know what we're doing wrong? Well, how do we evaluate? Um, we have this global statistics of fisheries <clears throat> showing that fishing really started to increase after the Second World War everywhere around the world, and it peaked in the mid-90s, and it's been declining since. A third of the fish stocks have already collapsed, and if we continue with the status quo, by 2050, most commercial fisheries will have collapsed. Wow. And that's uh, the main source of animal protein for over a, a billion people. Right? So this is just one way. We also have seen the increase in ocean temperature, the death of entire coral reefs when the water gets too warm for too long in the summer, like happened a couple of years ago in Australia, the Great Barrier Reef, where half of the corals uh, in the southern Great Barrier Reef died. And then the Arctic ice, for example, is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. You, we have this white heart of the planet on the top of the world where the sea ice, the, the seawater freezes in the winter and then it shrinks in the summer. The problem is that with ocean warming, that heart, that pulsation is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And old explorers complained that there was too much ice so they couldn't get to the North Pole. In 2040, you will be able to go to the North Pole on your sailboat on your because there's going to be no sea ice during the summer months. Right. So, Alex and Andrew, you're tackling one small part of this huge problem we're talking about. Every year, and I always have to check this number, but 8 million tons of plastic is thrown into the ocean. What's 4Ocean doing to combat that problem? So we started 4Ocean as a, <clears throat> a for-profit business trying to create a movement to try and help end the ocean plastic crisis. We looked at pioneers in the industry, such as Yvonne Chouard with Patagonia, um, and how he was able to disrupt the supply chain and using sustainable materials and leverage business to do great things for the planet, as well as uh, Blake Mykoski with Tom's, um, you know, creating economies all around the world, producing shoes for, for those in need and being able to provide those uh, with a private business. We wanted to leverage a lifestyle brand to make sustainability cool. We wanted to make cleaning the ocean cool. Um, and that's, that's our mission with, with Forest to try and help end the ocean plastic. So this crisis. was a kind of, Alex, maybe you can, Andrew, sorry, maybe you can pick this up, but yeah. you were kind of a surfer dude couple, right? <laughs> yeah. Who, who yeah. So went to Bali. Tell, us, tell your story a little sure. bit. Sure, so we met at Florida Atlantic University studying business. And um, after we graduated, we celebrated with a surf trip to Bali, Indonesia. You. Prior to that trip, we knew we wanted to start a business. Um, we were the kids that had the lemonade stands, that we were selling candy bars in the hallway. We were entrepreneurs at heart our whole life. And we knew that the business, whether it was a brick and mortar surf shop, was gonna be something centered around what we were passionate about. And our passion quickly changed when we flew in and before we landed, we saw strips of plastic that we call them back home weed lines and we thought they were weed lines. And then we further investigated, went straight to the beach, and I saw people playing in plastic that was knee deep, and I went up to the lifeguard and I literally, and I said, hey man, how come nobody's cleaning up this plastic? And he said, oh, it's three o'clock, it's, it's high tide. We clean it up every day, this is just what happens by the end of the day. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is way more severe than we could have ever imagined. Did more research and it was, this was happening to a lot of places all over the world. And you combat this by selling bracelets. Right. And you're so wearing your bracelets. I can see these yeah. are $20 bracelets made with recycled materials. Mm -hmm. And for each of those bracelets, you say that you will take a pound of plastic out of the ocean, which actually seems like kind of expensive, mm -hmm. uh, an expensive way of bringing so plastics out of the ocean. But That's a great you. point. The model, what we wanted to do when we brought it back home was there's a lot of people that live on the coastline of Bali that participate in that cleanup. There's 
billions of people all over the world that can't participate in that cleanup. So we really wanted to have an opportunity where anyone anywhere in the world could participate in that metaphorical cleanup, but in, in cleanups all over the world. And um, what the what e-commerce and the bracelet and the website and this new world that just opened up in the past, you know, 10 years and what we were studying in school was that if we could sell a product made from the recycled materials um, that could be a reminder that's on your wrist, that represents a quantifiable pound, that gives anybody in the center of the United States, the North Pole, far away from these beaches, to be able to participate in the cleanup, that's what we wanted to do. That's how 4Ocean was born. And I think that you know the bracelet was just the stepping stone to the bigger picture, right? This is someone's commitment to a cleaner ocean, and right. what we're really trying to do is when we first saw that plastic on the beach in Bali, we realized that something needed to be done. And after further investigation, really learning, we have to move upstream and change plastic production habits and change consumption habits to truly end the problem. Because purchasing a bracelet, consumerism alone will not solve the ocean plastic crisis. So Enrique, I'd like to come back to you on this. This year we've had this huge um, campaign against plastic straws. Mm -hmm. And there's been a change in consumer, I know in my habits and consumer habits. Is this the right way to tackle one aspect of the, or is it a sort of a, a plastic sticker on a gunshot wound? Yeah, well, you know, doing less bad is not good enough. Right. Right, and this is great, uh, but it's not enough. And plastic, is a very visible issue. Mm. And I think this is a bipartisan issue because except for a few people here in Washington, nobody likes plastic pollution, right? Right. Um, but there are three main problems. One, is, again, is, is the overfishing. Two, is the plastic pollution. And three, is the, is the global warming. And you know, when I was in, I, I'm a recovering academic. I was <laughs> one of these nerdy scientists that Jane Fonda was talking about. Right. And, we were studying the impacts of humans in the ocean, the impacts of fishing and climate change, and plastic was not such a big issue then. Right. And one day I realized that all we were doing was writing the obituary of the ocean mm. with more and more precision, more data. Mm. Right? And people were very happy saying, oh wow, now we have more statistical evidence that th there is a problem, right? So this is when I decided to quit and work on solutions. And of all the solutions, uh, for these three main problems. The, the solutions are very clear. One is not to put plastic into the ocean. No. And biodegradable plastics, compostable, does that help? Compostable, compostable. Because biodegradable, it degrades in smaller pieces. And then and you get these micro plastics. For climate change, for ocean warming and acidification, the only solution is to go to uh, phase off fossil fuels and go to a fully renewable economy by 2050. That's it. Everything else okay. is just very Say that date again. That we need to a shift to a renewable energy economy by 2050. We need to phase off fossil fuels. That's the only solution for, for the climate change, the ocean warming and acidification. And for fishing is the simplest and the fastest way to fix this problem. Because if you, don't, if you protect areas in the ocean, what we call marine reserves or marine protected areas, if you, if you don't kill the fish, they take a longer time to die and they grow larger and have more sex and have more babies. And what we have seen is that in places that are fully protected from fishing, fish come back and the entire ecosystem, the entire marine life comes back so spectacularly that on average, marine life increases on abundance six times relative to the adjacent unprotected areas. And these fish not only grow larger, but also grow fatter, which means that the number of eggs they produce exponentially larger than outside. So they produce a disproportionate large amount of babies, which help to replenish the areas around. And 
when we have these protected areas that are well managed, mm -hmm. the fishermen are doing so much better around them. So on the periphery of on these the periphery sort of and the national parks of the ocean, if you like. Exactly. So these national parks in the ocean are so today only two per two point four percent of the ocean is fully protected from fishing. Mm -hmm. So we can fish in more than ninety seven percent of the ocean. The ninety seven percent is like a bank account, a checking account, where everybody withdraws, but nobody makes a deposit. These national parks in the ocean are like investment accounts with a principle that we set aside that produces compound interest that we can, you know, we can enjoy, we can enjoy the returns. And this works everywhere, in small reserves and large reserves, and developing countries and rich countries with small species to large species. And we just need to go from that 2.4% to actually 30% of the ocean protected. So I've just come from back from Ocracoke, North Carolina, um, where I wrote a story about the threat to the outer banks in North Carolina from rising sea levels. Venice is underwater right now. What is the best example you have of a place where you've said this is human-caused climate change? If we don't do something now, uh, the place is going to, the community is going to. All, all of these die. examples are. All of these examples are, and. One example, which is probably the most dramatic, is, is the Arctic, because the Arctic is the fastest uh, warming place in the world. Mm. And by 2040, there's going to be no sea ice in the summer. And there are all these animals that depend on the sea ice for survival. So you have the sea ice that uh, forms on, on the surface, and you have little uh, algae growing underneath the edge of the sea ice, and you have this little shrimp eating the little algae, and you have the little arctic cod eating the little shrimp, mm -hmm. and you have the seals eating the little arctic cod, and you have the polar bears and the belugas, and, and, and all these animals are support the way of life of the Inuit, of the inhabitants right. of the north, right? And all of a sudden, boom, this is going to be gone within right. two decades. The entire history, the entire culture, the entire lifestyle is going to be gone. So a question for all three of you. We have a, a Washington Post Kaiser Family Foundation poll recently, and I'm going to read from it. It said that nearly four in 10 Americans describe climate change now as a crisis, and they're increasingly worried about it. Fewer than that believe that tackling that problem will require them to make major sacrifices, and most are unwilling to pay for it out of their own pockets. So what are your responses to that? And how do you see getting people more involved? And maybe you guys want to start with the, this mission of getting people involved in these sure, issues. Sure, sure. So, you know, your, your previous question as well, with, is a straw the right way to approach it? I think that's very similar to, you know, can individuals have an impact mm. on, on the climate change? And I think that, you know, what we're trying to, the message that we're trying to get across is individual actions can have a, a huge collective effort. And what people don't realize is that, that there's, their individual action of, of turning down a straw creates a chain reaction. It might not be the fact that that person in the middle of the states refuses that single-use plastic straw, and if that is actually going to end up in the ocean, you know, in the middle of the states. But more importantly, what it's doing is it's continuing the conversation. By uh, uh, corporations are listening to brands, and brands are listening to consumers. We have the ability to change what's happening in the world, and it all takes it all takes individual action. I want to jump in here with a Twitter question that's yes. come in from Dustin, for you guys, um, saying. Won't you be cleaning up plastic forever unless we stop the flow of it into the ocean and reduce production? How is Four Ocean creating awareness about reducing plastic use? That's a great question. Is it Dustin? It's a great question, Dustin. <laughs> um, yeah, it was Dustin. So, so Thanks, a Dustin. stopping at the source. So not so that is river um, boom systems at river mouths, and not just going out to the center of where the problem is, but reversing it 
and we do that with raising awareness, education programs, research and development, but more importantly, um, it's a, a comment I heard on, on this panel was that the plastic's getting thrown in the ocean. And when I was actually getting makeup backstage, not that I do makeup on my own, it was mandatory. <laughs> um, she said, what about these freight liners? Like, how are we gonna stop the freight liners? And I said, you know what? Ditching that stuff overboard. Yes. Right. right, and that's not the plastic we're finding on the beaches. What we're finding is, is plastic that comes from land-based sources. So whether it's the United States or a country with a worse, a lesser waste management infrastructure, if plastic ends up on the ground, it does not break down, it doesn't go away, it goes somewhere else. And the rain brings it to the gutters, the gutters bring it to the drains, the drains bring it to the rivers, and the rivers literally bring it to the ocean where it gets washed up on the beaches and animals ingest it and animals get entangled in it. So the other quote I used when I'm talking to a, uh, a lesser educated audience is, just like Finding Nemo says, all drains lead to the ocean. It's, yeah. it's very true. And, and I and I think to chime in on that as well to, to kind of answer the point is we're trying to leverage you know social media. We've been fortunate enough to, right. to get over three and a half million followers, and that's a platform, right, to have that discussion. And this is in two years. We started. In two and a half years, two yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And and we're trying to leverage social media and, and awareness. Right. You know, Andrew and I have stood on beaches that are football field size of plastic that's ten feet deep. We've seen rivers of plastic pouring into the ocean, and it's our job to to bring awareness to that, right? right? We want to show people around the world what's happening that. That straw that they're you know, refusing at a restaurant truly does have an impact on the bigger picture. So this is important on the grassroots level. Take me again to the, the higher level. What's gonna happen unless world leaders get on board and recognize the science that you're talking about? I mean. We are on the way to a planet, not two degrees Celsius, but three or four degrees Celsius, which means that 90% of the coral reefs of the world would be gone with a two degrees Celsius world. So basically, we're going to lose all of the coral reefs as we know them. There's going to be no sea ice left in the Arctic Ocean during summer months, which means that the air conditioning system of the planet is gone, which is going to create crazier, crazier storms and more frequent droughts and these extreme weather events and fires and, and floods in the Northern Hemisphere. So we're going to a world that nobody is going to like. And what does President Trump's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement mean for you and your world? Not for me, for everybody. For everybody. Um, yeah. Well, the good thing is that we are not out yet. There is a process, right. and hopefully uh, it is going to be too late to, to get out of Paris. But the United States has been leading, and many countries around the world always were waiting for the United States to do the right thing, like it or not. And it was the leadership of the United States that actually inspired China to join, and then also brought India, uh, the three biggest polluting countries, together to, to get to the Paris Climate Agreement. Right now, there is this vacuum of leadership. The United States not being there is a big, big, big problem for the world. So we need to, and the problem is that, well, if the United States don't do it, doesn't do it, we will not do it either, right? So it, it's not a, a question of, I, I'm going to, the America first world is, is an illusion. It does not exist. The ocean is downstream of everything mm -hmm. and connected to everything. And this separating the plastic problem with the climate problem and the ocean and, and biodiversity nature, it's wrong. It, it's, all, it's all linked. And so, so last night in the democratic de debate, we heard about the central issue of the climate crisis yeah. then. But do you think US lawmakers understand how dire this situation is? Well, I, there is this expression that um, nobody 
nobody will understand something if their um, funding depends on uh, <laughs> the opposite or something like that. Um, I think everybody understands, but there are short-term um, interests, right? And it's uh, both corporate greed and political survival. Um, it, it's all about greed for money or power at the end of the day. It's as simple as that. Andrew and Alex, your company is global. What kind of pushback or reception have you received in other countries you've been working in? I, I think, you know, a, a lot of the, the different countries that we're working in, we're trying to, to bring awareness to that you can end the plastic that's entering into the ocean by providing upstream solutions and recycling infrastructure and waste management infrastructure. That truly can have an impact, and that's been the hardest part is, you know, trying to, to work with these, these different countries to allocate resources towards these different campaigns, and I think that's been the, the biggest pushback we've seen. And Andrew, um, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has announced plans to eliminate single-use plastics as early as 2021. Can we expect this kind of action, do you think, from U.S. lawmakers? I would hope so. Um, I can't speak too much to that, but I would really, really hope so. As I said earlier, all of the plastic we're finding in the ocean comes from land. It's not from a mysterious ship driving around or, or nurdle containers that just spilled into the ocean one time. And if we fix that, the problem's over. Mm -hmm. And how many uh, countries are you now operating in? Four uh, countries. Yep. How many? Four countries. Four countries. So that's? So that's United States, Indonesia, Haiti, and Guatemala. Haiti. <laughs> 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 Love it. So, um, Enrique, tell me a little bit more about Pristine Seas. This is literally sort of creating these national parks, so yes. taking that model and, and moving it into the ocean. Yeah, um, when I left academia, I came to National Geographic in 2008, and I moved to DC then and proposed this uh, project, National Geographic Pristine Seas, to help save the last wild places in the ocean before it's too late. Um, National Geographic loved the idea, and in the last 10 years, we have used a combination of expeditions, scientific and economic research, films, to inspire country leaders and communities to protect their waters or the most precious parts of their waters before it's too late. And we've been able to work with 16 countries. Wow. Uh, and the, we've seen the creation of 22 of these national parks in the ocean, covering a total area of almost 6 million square kilometers, which is over half the size of the United States. And there is a lot of interest in that, and we know that when we protect these places, marine life comes back, the local economies improve, people's health also improves around these protected areas. So it's a, it's a triple win, ecological, social, and economic, and politicians also love this. So we are planning at National Geographic to continue doing this for the next 10 years, and we'll hopefully double the impact that we've had so far. So one quick last question for each of you. What do you think individuals can do to make a difference? That's a really good question. I think the most important thing, so the first one is make a change to your daily life. But we all need to know that for a big change to come, the quickest, it needs to come from the top down. So for that change to come from the top down, we need to keep the conversation going. Because the people that are at the top, the, the politicians, the governments, and the industry leaders, decision makers, manufacturers, are truly listening to what we're talking about and the actions that we take every day. Mm -hmm. Do you want to add a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you know, just continuing that conversation and doing anything that we can all across the board to, to show that conservation and sustainability is cool. You know, uh, and you had a, a great quote from your TED talk that 
is when economic needs and conservation align, miracles can happen. And I think that that is so true all across the board because we really need to find ways to show people that conservation can have amazing impacts and it can, it can do great things, not only for the planet, but for businesses, politicians, everyone. It's, it's important and we have to do it. I'll rake over to you for the individual. We are individuals. There is one thing that everybody can do. Yes. Is eat mostly plants. It's a good point. Plants. Yes. Okay. Michael Pollan says eat food, right. eat less, and eat mostly plants. And that will be good for your health and also for the planet because uh, meat consumption produces something like 15% of the global emissions, carbon emissions. So that's a solution that is easy and actually is good for everybody. Okay, eat mostly plants. And unfortunately, that's the message we have to close down on today. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. If you want to check in on uh, what you've heard today from either of the programs, please check in to Washington Post Live. Thank you very much. Thank you to our wonderful panel. Congratulations. I'm Francis Steve Salas, and thank you for coming. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.